Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. For that day, and I don't know if you're uh, like me, uh, but very very few things uh, get imprinted on your memory or just the person of who you are. I can think of a few things in my life, one being married you know, going to Bible college, having kids, things like that have really made impacts in my life. But concerning just as a nation and as a people, that specific day of September 11th was one that is forever burned in my memory. And I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what I was doing. And I don't know if you're like that as well, but it was, again, one of those things that was imprinted in my thinking, in my memory. I worked for General Motors at the time, and uh, I can remember the specific job that I was working in. In that job, there was a radio, and I can remember hearing the announcement. And at first, you're thinking, is this a joke? Is it, is it just something that they're playing like an April Fool's thing? Is this serious? And then the more that you heard, the more that you begin to hear the, the, the news broadcast, you found out that this was very much serious and that it was a real attack on our country. And I can remember just shortly after that, it just really troubled me within that same day. And I said to God, I said, God, I'm sorry because I didn't know. And what I meant by that is that I was I was caught unaware. I was caught off guard. And if you've ever been a person of prayer, you'll remember or you'll know that God oftentimes will put something on your heart. You may not necessarily know exactly what it is, but there might come a time of heaviness or you just know that there is a need to pray. And to be honest with you, I just got caught unaware. I was surprised and it really troubled me. And I said, God, forgive me because I wasn't praying like I should have. And God desires, as I said already, to help protect us and preserve us. He wants us, wants us to be aware But it's very important for us to really begin to identify and know some things as they really are. Amen. And today what I want to do is not really just so much camp on this specific day. But I want to use this as a catalyst to help us see some things and to really help us be aware. If you're not aware of it, if you've not really been keen or tuned into it, the time is short. Jesus is coming very soon. And again, I don't know if you are aware of what the Bible says, but the Bible says that this earth is not going to go on forever. That there's coming a time where Jesus is coming back to get his people and his people are the church. And those days are upon us. In fact, the Bible gives us signs and signs of the time. And the majority, if not necessarily, I should say close to all of it, has been fulfilled in the sense of Jesus is at the door and the time is at hand. And the reason that we need to be aware of that is simply because there are those that don't know Jesus that are apart from Christ. And when Jesus returns, if you don't know God, you will be separated from him. And once again, I realize that that is something that is so flippant in our conversation. 
fact, my wife and I, we were talking about this before, you know, just in, in terms of conversations. I can remember talking with individuals and saying, Jesus loves you, but you can't go to heaven without him. And the response is, well, I guess I'll go to hell partying with my friends. As though it's going to be a party. You don't want to be caught off guard. You don't want to be caught not knowing him when that day comes. Can you say amen? There's people that need Jesus. This church is not just a place for you to come and call home and say, well, I punched my time clock and I went to church. No, this is a place for you to really take root and really begin to find your place and your purpose in God and for God. And therefore, we begin to touch this community in a greater way. Right? That's why you exist. That's why you're here is to make a difference within this greater Flint community. I realize it's one of those things that we say, well, it's just a few of us. It's just a handful. We're not a real big church. The Bible says that Jesus' disciples being 12 at the time turned the world upside down or the known world. How many of you know we can turn this greater Flint upside down? That we can be so radically used by God that we can turn this city around. Now, I didn't say radically fanatics and weirdos. I said God can use us radically in such a radical, loving way that God begins to draw people to himself. And this church can, can begin to grow. And we can literally not just build a church from converts from one church to the next, but literally reach people that don't know Jesus. Amen? That's our purpose. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. To go back to 9-11, just simply to give you some numbers if you're not really aware or just to refresh your memory. On that day of the attack, there was nearly 3,000 people that were killed, 2,996 people. And over 6,000 were wounded or injured, including was 265 people on the planes that were killed. And there was 206 or 2,606 people at the World Trade Center that were killed and 125 people that lost their life at the Pentagon. Once again, this is a day that has forever changed the landscape of our nation. But since that day, terrorism, attacks on our nation have continued. (laughs) In fact, that day set precedence for so many things that have come and are continuing to be a part of our everyday life. For instance, recent stats show us that violent jihadist attacks since 9-11 have been numbered as of 10 or 10 attacks have taken place since then. The total number of people that have been killed since that in, in, in violent jihadist attacks have been 94 people that have lost their life. Now you may say, what does it mean to have a violent or what is a violent jihadist attack? This is the definition. It is the use of violence or the threat of violence against civilians in order to attain their goal that are political, religious, ideological in nature. And this is done through intimidation or through instilling fear. Through instilling fear. There's also been attacks on our nation. And it's in the form of what we call the far right wing attack. And there have been attacks numbering. Or the number I should say is 18. The total number of people that have lost their life is 48. 
And you may say, well, what is the far right wing attack? What is that defined as? It is the far right ideologies and beliefs. And their goal is really to overtake our government. Once again, we are shielded so much from really what is taking place behind the scenes. But statistics show us that roughly every 80 days, there is some type of terroristic attack against our nation. Once again, we already saw that concerning these attacks, the number one thing that they try to instill is fear. To motivate you or to instill fear in your life so that they have the upper hand. But I found it interesting that as I began to do some of the research on these things that are taking place within our country, there is a buzzword that continued to pop up. And it was this word. Concerning these terror attacks, we have become a people of Islamophobia. Or we've been afraid of Islam. And what that really means or what that's really saying is that we've been become sensitized or become hypersensitized, if you will, to a people, to a race. We have been instilled with this fear concerning a people. And the common denominator reduces us to simply the natural side of man. If you really want to get technical about it. We talk about Islamophobia. It's not really the fear of a religion. Again, it instills fear of a people. Right? Racism is birthed not out of a race. But when we talk racism, you start seeing faces. Right? When I talk about fear of terroristic attacks, what comes to mind? You might think of people from Middle Eastern descent. Why? Because you naturally begin to think of the faces of the people of the natural man. For instance, in our mainstream media, there is a movement to preserve the rights of homosexual people, right? And so, do you think of the movement of homosexuality when you think of the news stories? No, what typically comes to mind is people that are waving the rainbow flags and you instinctively say, oh, those people, right? Come on, don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know what I'm talking about. When we talk about those people, whether it be homosexuals, whether it be uh, Islamic kind of people or whatever we start to stereotype, you start to see pictures of faces that would begin to identify with what it is that we're talking about, right? And that has been the agenda of everything that we have begun to see. To really to divert us from what really is so. And to identify the natural side of man. That has been the agenda from the very beginning. It's not just recent. Let me give you a couple different scenarios. As I've talked about racism already, when we talk about racism between black and white or Hispanic or the brown people, what what do we think of? We don't just think of a group of people. We begin to see skin color. We begin to see faces. Concerning the Holocaust, it was about a people. It was about the Jewish people. 
When we talk about the Civil War, it was a people of those that wore blue coats and those that wore gray coats. When you think of the civilization of this country, there was a people that stood in the way and it was the red man. Are you tracking with me? In our current state of affairs in our country, there's a great divide of Republican and Democrats. And you begin to address those and immediately faces start to appear that relate to Democrat or Republican. Concerning the LGBT movement, once again, it's about a people. Concerning drugs, addictions, or the fight against it, again, we think of people. For that matter, this country, there is a big debate to legalize marijuana. And when you think of those people, pictures come to mind, right? People that got slanted eyes, like, yeah. yeah. Cheech and Chong, or whatever you might think of, right? Again, you start to think of those scenarios, you think people. You see faces. And as I said already, concerning terrorism or radical Islam... You think of people. And that has been the agenda all along. All the issues that we're fighting, the problems and the so-called solutions, they're just a byproduct of something bigger. Listen, you'll never hear this spoken on mainstream media. Today, what I'm going to share with you, this is not something that you'll ever hear on CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN. There is a bigger problem than just a skin color. There's a bigger problem than just a race. There is just, or there is a bigger problem than just a belief system. Now, to give you a glimpse as to what the solution is to the problem... We saw that the Sunday after the first 9-11. Statistics has showed us this. That the Sunday after 9-11, churches around America were packed. One pastor that we are familiar with, that's within our realm of influence, if you will. He pastors a very large church down in Texas. His name is Pastor Ed Young. On 9-11, or the Sunday after 9-11, his church numbered over 20,000 people. Now listen to this. The very next Sunday, it was down to 16,000. The very next Sunday, it was down to 12,000. Here's the point. The solution or what people look toward or what they ran toward in the event of a major catastrophe in life. They look to a spiritual source to be the answer. Are you here this morning? Once again, we look at everything that the mainstream of media has begun to present to us and paint the landscape and the pictures and the images that we see. And everybody says, let's legislate it. Let's create a solution to the problem. And they've done many things like that, but it has only gotten worse. But on 9-11 or the Sunday after, over half of our population, the statistics show, over half of the population of the, of the United States found themselves in some kind of religious service. 
So within the heart of man, when push comes to shove, there's something internally that says there is a solution. There is an answer. And we look to a spiritual source to bring peace, to bring safety, bring contentment in our life. But isn't it sad that it is so short-lived that within just a couple weeks, people go back to life and say, well, this too shall pass. The answer is spiritual because the problem is spiritual. It's not a people. It's not a race. It's not a skin color. It's not even a group of people. The problem is a spiritual problem. Amen? Are you tracking with me? So to help bring clarity to this topic that we're going to touch on this morning, I want to bring your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And God answers or has an answer to every problem that we would face. God is the answer. God is the solution. But he says, listen, in, in trying to find solutions, you are going to fail to see that there is a spiritual solution. And there's a reason because of that. He says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, but the natural, unbelieving man does not accept the things... The teachings and revelations of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness, absurd and illogical to him. And he is incapable of understanding understanding them because they are spiritually discerned and appreciated. And he is unqualified to, to judge spiritual matters. And here's the temptation for our culture. And even our church is to say, well, you are oversimplifying things and just saying, well, Jesus is the solution or it's a spiritual problem. And here's what God said. He's already addressed that issue. He said, if you don't know Jesus, if you're a, apart from God, you cannot understand spiritual things because they're foolishness to you. You will always look to the natural side of man, looking to the natural side of life, because there's a spiritual undercurrent, but you won't understand it, because you can't discern it. Because it's only spiritually discerned. And for that matter, it's unfortunate that so much of the church, even though they're loving God and going to heaven, they're ignorant of spiritual things, and they pawn it off and saying, well... You're just oversimplifying or making, making a mountain out of a molehill. No, this is a people thing. No, God says there is a spiritual problem. And God wants us to understand. Today we're recognizing 9-11. But I want you to know that there's more underneath of the surface. There's more than what meets the eye. And it's a spiritual issue. Let's look behind the curtain for a moment, if you will, because the Bible begins to lay out a foundation from cover to cover. There's so many examples, and I've just gotten a few of them to show you that there is a spiritual undercurrent, if you will, that begins to drive all of this kind of thing. If you think about it back in Genesis, the Bible says that Egypt enslaved Israel. Do you recall that with Moses, the whole story? But do you recall that Pharaoh killed all the babies of a certain age? Now, 
from the surface what Pharaoh had said. We don't want these people to become a great people and overthrow us. But the scripture actually defines or begins to articulate to us that really what was driving it behind it is that Satan knew that the Messiah was coming and he thought or had heard of that there was a king that was rising up or a leader that was rising up and Satan actually thought that this leader that was rising up just might be the Messiah. So let's kill all the babies so that we can kill the leader or kill the chosen one. Do you recall How Moses escaped floating down the river. It was the divine plan of God. But it was also the spiritual undercurrent of what the enemy was trying to do to thwart the plan of God. Let me give you another example. In 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, the Bible tells us that King Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. Now listen, do you remember the story? King Saul was the first king that God ever gave his people because they required a king. They desired to have a king like other nations. And God says, I want to be your God. And they said, but we want a king. And so God said, I'll give you a king. But then there was this little boy that started to grow up and became used of God and his name was David. Do you remember the story? And through the course of events... David became a great man of stature and the people cried out, Saul, King Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his tens of thousands. Now, the Bible says that Saul became very jealous and sought to kill David. You would look to the serpents and say, well, it's just an issue of jealousy. He was jealous because the people were recognizing David more. But the Bible prophesies and tells us that Jesus would come out of the lineage of David. So why was Saul really trying to kill David? It was to thwart the plan of God. But if all we do is look at the surface, we miss the spiritual undercurrent. Can you say amen? In Mark chapter 9 verse 25, the Bible says that there was a man that had a boy that was deaf and dumb. And the Bible says that many times he would, he would go into seizures. And this father brought his child to Jesus. And, and, and he says, can you do anything, Jesus? And while the midst of him being there, the Bible says that the spirit that was within the boy that caused him to be deaf and dumb and go into uh, uh, palsy attacks, if you will. The Bible says that when the spirit saw him, he convulsed and Jesus rebuked the spirit. So what was it that caused it? Was it just natural symptoms of man? No, it was spiritually Influenced in Jesus rebuked it in Luke chapter or Luke chapter 13 and starting verse 10 It says that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years It was the woman with the issue of blood The Bible does not say oh she was just sick No, the Bible identifies her sickness as being a spirit of infirmity Are you tracking with me? Because what I'm talking about is all these things that we see. We look to natural man and say, oh, it's just evil man. It's just corrupt man. No, it is a spiritual undercurrent that is influencing it. The answer isn't just naturally speaking to address the natural man. It is a spiritual problem that is an undercurrent. And we can only answer it through a spiritual solution. And it's Jesus. Once again, we see Peter. In Luke's gospel, 
The Bible says that Peter's mother was sick. And when Jesus addressed the sickness, she had a fever. And the Bible didn't say that Jesus did pray for her and said, be well. He rebuked the fever. Meaning he spoke to it by name and says, fever, you have to leave. Why? Because the fever or sickness was spiritually or demonically influenced, if you will. Amen? In Matthew chapter 16, do you remember Peter? Peter came to Jesus and Jesus was saying to his disciples, he says, listen, he says, I've got to go and do a, a, a great thing here. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm doing it for you. Do you remember Peter's response? He says, oh, no, Lord, that can't be. Have you ever had anybody come to you with the best intentions, but it was leading you down a wrong course, even though their heart was right? Or they thought it was. Jesus didn't rebuke Peter. He says, Satan, get behind me. Why? Because in that moment, Satan started to work on the emotions of Peter and said, oh, you don't want Jesus to go. And so Peter just stood up and says, oh, Lord, no, no, we'll do all that we can. Jesus recognized the influence behind it. Come on, have you ever sensed that your emotions were going crazy on you? How come your emotions go crazy? Because the devil feeds the thoughts. He comes to attack your thinking. He likes to play in the playground of your emotions. And if you'll understand, there's a spiritual undercurrent here. It's not just me being emotional. No, the enemy's trying to push the buttons. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So in other words, that tells us, number one, that all sickness, all disease comes from the enemy, not from God. It tells us that sickness isn't just a byproduct of this world that we live in. It tells us that sickness and disease is spiritually driven. And so you can deal with it naturally speaking. But more importantly, we ought to begin to look at how we address it from a spiritual perspective. Can you say amen? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and soundness of mind. Do you remember what terrorism is? It is to instill fear or to motivate you through fear. And God said, I've not given you a spirit. Everybody say spirit. Spirit. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and soundness of mind. So when you begin to sense that fear is creeping up on you, what's at work? A spiritual undercurrent that the enemy is beginning to work on you. Amen? So what does that tell me? That terrorism is nothing more than a spiritual driven attack against people it's not a race it's not a people from a culture it is spiritually driven and therefore there has to be a spiritual answer 
In Daniel chapter 10, real quickly, if you remember, the, the Bible says that Daniel was praying. And the Bible says that the, the, the angel Gabriel came to help him. But it says that the prince of Persia withstood me and therefore I couldn't bring the answer that God sent me with. What does that tell us? When it's speaking of the prince of Persia, it's not talking of a natural prince. It's talking about a spiritual entity that's in the heavenlies, in position and in place to do battle against God's people. So let me say it this way. There is a prince of darkness that's over Flint. That's working to destroy Flint. To destroy your life. Just as well as every other community throughout the world. The prince of Persia was an assigned spiritual entity to bring destruction, division, and schism. And it's no different than today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdoms which God ordains before the ages for our glory. Wisdom which, which none of the princes of this world knew. Did you catch that word princes? It says, the glory and the wisdom which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have not, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. And again, to give you the context of that scripture, the Bible says this. That when it came to those that crucified Jesus, God did not look at the Roman soldiers. He did not look at the government. He did not look at a people. He looked at the princes, the spiritual forces behind it. And he says, you're the ones that actually crucified Jesus. Influencing man to do so. But here's what the Bible says. Had they known what Jesus was really intending to do. And had they known that they were all a part of the master plan to really kill Jesus. Had they known what was on the other side of Jesus going to hell, raising from the dead. Had they known, they would have never crucified him. Because they were all part of the master plan that caused Jesus to be the victor and make us free. Come on, there is a greater influence that's at work and it's in the unseen realm. And it's the enemy. And once again, you might say, oh, well, dear God, you are just getting too spooky and weird. No, listen, the Bible says that spiritual things are discerned spiritually. And we use the word of God to define those things. Am I saying this to scare you? Am I saying this to be all spooked out? No, just knowing that the enemy's at work. But if he's at work, so is God. And the Bible says we've got the victory. The Bible says that God, that through Jesus, spoiled those principalities, powers, and princes of the air, therefore giving us victory. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be terrorized because we've got the greater one on the inside of us. Because we received Jesus Christ. Amen? So once again, because our government and peoples don't understand and can't spiritually discern... We pass laws. We pass laws to try to overthrow our government legislation. Such as you can send, or I should say a man can go in a woman's bathroom where my little girls are. Are you seeing the perversion? Our government says here's a standard rule of thinking and abiding by. But there's always legislation coming against to fix a solution. 
where there's really a spiritual problem. We have a government that says, well, let's establish foreign policies. Let's restrict travel. Let's restrict immigration. And it's all to put a band-aid on, which is really a spiritual problem. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will hear, heal their land. God says, you want an answer? Don't legislate it. Seek my face. Don't try to put a band-aid on it. Repent. Come to me. Amen? The answer is not natural. It's spiritual. The intent of everything that we're talking about is to bring division, schism, fear, separation between people. As we fight about the division, the separation, the legislation, the race, the skin color, it's all to distract us from what is really the issue. And it's a spiritual problem. Amen? The answer is simple. And the answer is Jesus. We look at Jesus and we look at all that he did and we say, well, he did it naturally speaking. No. Everything that he did was a spiritual solution. Do you remember the Bible says that Jesus was beaten Stripes were placed upon his back. He was beaten physically, broken in body. But the spiritual implication was that his body would be broken so yours didn't have to. The Bible says in Isaiah that by his stripes we are healed. Every stripe that he took, every beating that was placed upon him was so that you didn't have to be sick, defeated, And hurting in life. He went to the cross. And he died. He did it physically. But you know the cross was only set aside for those that were guilty. He was an innocent man. But hanging on a cross of guilt and shame. He was the substitution. The Bible says that in that moment upon hanging on the tree. That God took the sins of the world, past, present, and future, and placed it upon Jesus. He was there naturally hanging on a tree. But spiritually, all your guilt, all your shame, all your sin was placed upon him in that moment. And because that sin, not that he was a sinner, but because the sin was upon him, the penalty of that sin was to die and go to hell. That's what you and I really deserve. But Jesus was the substitute. He died naturally, but he also died spiritually. The Bible says that an innocent man went to hell. See, that's where you and I deserve to go, spiritually speaking. But Jesus was the spiritual substitute. And the Bible says that 
on the third day. Because you can't send and keep an innocent man in hell what is reserved for those that are apart from Jesus. Those that continue to walk in sin. Those that continue to reject Jesus. As a result, Jesus conquered spiritual death. And therefore became the spiritual substitute and the spiritual solution to every spiritual problem. It shows up in natural ways, but the problem is spiritual and the solution is spiritual. Amen. Let's stand. This morning as we remember 9-11, I want us to also remind ourselves of what Jesus came to do through the communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So why are we doing it? Because in the communion elements represents the spiritual solution and the answer. Amen. to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life